hard to follow up on that. Amen. Now listen, if you've been here, we've been talking about a journey of Jesus. And like I said, we're two weeks from Easter. We started out a couple weeks in Matthew where Jesus with the, the temptations. Then last week we caught him in Mark where it seemed like Mark, he was always in action. He was on a road trip, a continuous road trip. Today we're going to be in Luke just to get some insight. And so, you know, I believe this today the Lord wants to help us to move past religion, to move past even traditional personal opinions. And just like it said, to behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Son of God. Behold the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. And understand biblically stuff that Jesus said and did. Now, here we are in Luke chapter 4. And before I start today, many times in life we, we talk about smart people are very intelligent people. And that may be some of you. You know, you may get around people. I don't know if you've ever been around someone that's really, really intelligent. I've been around two men in my life that were so stinking intelligent, it, it rocked my little pea brain. And then, you know, we can sit here and talk about maybe Thomas Edison, how smart he was, Albert Einstein. But have we ever put Jesus in that category about how awesome he was as the smartest person? And I believe Scripture will bear witness to some of this. Begin in Luke 4, verse 31. It says, Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching. The message says his teaching was forthright and confident. But they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. The Amplified says for authority, ability, weight, and power. Now Jesus' teaching, guys, they were at times very radical, but they always asserted authority above the law. And when you notice his teaching, that, that the people recognized there was authority on him. There was substance behind his word. Now, when you study Jesus' life, the, the greatest title he was mostly referenced by wasn't that his Savior. It wasn't that his healer. He was referenced most as teacher or rabbi. Forty-four times he was referred to as the teacher. And Jesus' most common uh, subject wasn't religion, it was life. He wanted to come and talk to us how to live life. He knows how to live life, he understands how to live life, and he wants us to. And so, you know, some of us, we may get excited about math, and some of you may get excited about English and spelling and history, but every one of us here get excited about life. And so today, here for a minute, we're going to go on a journey with Jesus and let the teacher teach us about life. Now turn over a couple pages to Luke 6. Luke chapter 6, and begin with me, verse 46. And it says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say, or you don't do the things that I teach. And so you begin to see Jesus' words here that his teachings weren't just for me and you to know something. His teachings weren't for me and you just to be able to quote the Bible. Look what I know. 
His teachings weren't for me and you to write an essay about or, or pass a, a multiple choice test. His teachings were designed to help us understand life. And when you look what he says right there, his teachings were designed to get me to do. He said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I tell you to do? And so never, never, never undervalue obedience. You see in the scriptures to obey is even better than sacrifice. And so this is one of the things that I believe the Lord really wants us to understand here today is about obedience. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 47. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show him whom he is like. Now you got to understand there's three major points right there in that verse. First of all, he says, he who comes to me. If you'll notice there, it didn't say, Jesus said, who I can go after, who I can round up. No, no, you look at Jesus' life, he always was attracted to the ones that came to him. You look over and over, whether it was blind Bartimaeus, whether it was the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, whether it was Zacchaeus, you can go over and over and over, and it was people that gravitated toward Jesus. You know what I'm telling you today? Jesus will not interfere with your life unless you ask Him, unless you come to Him. The second thing of importance, He says, and hears my sayings or hears my word. Now you understand, hearing the word of God is not a one-time deal. Hearing the word of God and coming to Jesus must be something I do on a daily basis. And then He ends with what? And does them. And does them. So his teachings were designed to get me to do. Because what I do is is what I become. And so this is why Jesus gets in here and he's saying this. Because there's no benefits without doing. That's James 1 and 25. It says, be a doer of the word, not hearer only. So he's telling us here, guys, immediately, my actions are better than the things I say. Now, he says, this is whom I will show you your like. When you come to him, you hear the word and you do them. Now, look, verse 48. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. He's building a house and he dug deep. Now, just think about the word there. He's building a house and he's digging deep. Right there, it shows me immediately. It's going to take effort on your part. You build and you dig. It does not happen overnight. But day by day by day, you keep building. And so I believe Jesus is telling us here, as long as you keep building, as long as you keep digging, don't get caught up in the time. It'll begin to take place. And so he informs us there early and he says, and he's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, You know a good word to circle in your Bible is when the flood arose. If you'll note in there, it did not say if the flood arose. He specifically says when the flood arose. So you know what he's telling me? Opposition's going to happen to each one of us. When the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house. And it could not shake it. 
for it was founded on the rock. So you know what he's telling me right here? You want to go through life and not be shaken when the storms are hitting you? Build your life on the rock. Stand on the rock. And, and if you notice here in Jesus' teaching, there is nothing mentioned here about your feelings. Well, you know, I felt like it. You know, I was reading the Word and it felt good today. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't go by your feelings. Your feelings are fickle. There's no feelings with Jesus. You know, so many times we come to church and we think, man, I just need to get buzzed. Just give me a buzz today, Lord. Give us a rush. Let there be a rush upon us in praise and worship. Well, he's not talking about feelings. Alcohol and drugs, they alter your feelings. Jesus doesn't necessarily alter your feelings. So listen, guys. He's just telling us day by day by day. You keep building and you keep digging. And don't get moved by your feelings. See, most of you, your feelings are probably just like mine. What's that mean? They're fickle. You know, yesterday morning I got up and I was cool. Last night I was hot. You go from being hungry to thirsty. I mean, we're just all day long our bodies are just freaking out. They're always sending signals to us. There's Sunday, some Sunday mornings, guys, I get up. I don't feel like I'm saved. But I don't pout around. I realize, you know, because of the Word of God, thank God I'm saved. I'm saved. And there's days I sure don't look like I'm saved. I got the bed head and I look bad. But thank God it's not based on how I feel or how I look. It's just based on the Word of God. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 49. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth. Now, you got to note something here, guys, in this. Both of them heard. Both heard. Both were building. And that's the same for every one of us in this room. We're building. You know what that means? We're working on something. And I'm building my house out of two types of material. It's only mentioned. Either the Word of God or the earth. And you know what that represents? The world. The world. Now, those are the only two materials that he lists. So, so he said he built his house on the earth. And without a foundation. I tell you, have you ever noticed the things of this earth, the things of this world? You put all your stock into them, they're going to let you down. And this is what he's talking. It's going to let you down. He didn't say you can't do that. But if you do do that, you might as well get ready because it's going to let you down. He goes on to say, against which the stream beat vehemently. So once again, guys, regardless... What you're building on, whether it's the things of God or the things of this earth, opposition's going to come. He, he specifies that again right here. How many under some opposition today? Every one of us in the room. He goes on to say, And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Why? Why? Because he didn't build on the rock. And so as you begin to look at this, both of them had the same opportunities. Just different choices. Now here's the multi-million dollar question today. What's the rock? What's the rock? Because he said he who built his house on the rock, man, it couldn't shake it. So what's the rock? Well, most of us in here would probably answer the word of God. And you know what that answer? 
is partly true. Partly true. But if you notice in there, Jesus said, He who comes to me must hear the word. Now, when you go back and look in both situations, both of them heard the word. If you look at the last guy, look back in verse 49, it says, But he who heard, he who heard. So listen, just because I'm hearing the word doesn't guarantee jack. Doesn't guarantee you nothing. So what's the rock then? The rock is when I hear the word of God and then I do the word. In other words, I have unconditional obedience to the word of God. Listen, if you don't obey the word of God, don't expect things to change. Don't expect things to happen. See, when when life starts crunching us, Every one of us in this room probably have a, a, a verse or verses we start quoting. Man, we can start, we can march back and forth and we can start quoting. No weapon formed against me in the name of Jesus will prosper. And we can start quoting the word, but what happens a lot of time in that situation? We're quoting the word as if it was a life preserver or a lucky charm. Just throw it out there. How many of us, when we get in trouble, we sit there and we say, everybody start praying, rescue us. You guys got to pray, you got to pray. Right here, Jesus gave us the instruction on life. And he said, if you'll build your house on this rock, when the storms of life come, they're going to pound against you. But you know what? You stand. You know why? The Word of God never changes. You look at that and say, uh-uh, uh-uh. And sometimes with the Word of God, you got to have bulldog faith. You know what that is? You latch down on that and you don't let go. And you just say, uh-uh, this is what the Word says. And then I become a doer, a doer, a doer, a doer, a doer of the Word. But remember this. Nothing changes without doing the Word. I don't care how much Scripture you can quote. It's the doers of the word. Jesus was about obedience and submission. Now, this was Professor Jesus. This was life 101. This is what he taught. And you know what's interesting about this passage? Is when he gets over and tells about opposition that's going to come, the floods are going to come. Where was he talking about that at? Right here on earth. You know why? When we get to heaven... There ain't going to be no floods. There ain't going to be that junk. We're going to be in paradise. So Jesus right here is telling us that our time right here on the earth, there's going to be storms that are going to come against us. You're not exempt from that. I'm not either. The difference between walking in the storm and not being shaken or crumbling is you either got a wishbone or you got a backbone. And the key is, you got to learn to put a little walkie-walkie with your talkie-talkie. Now, that's deep, Pastor. I'm preaching to myself, guys. I realize that. I can quote Scripture back, forward, front ways, back ways, but who cares? Who cares if there's no benefit, if, if there's no profit? And so this was Professor Jesus, Life 101. This is how you, did you get it? I gotta hear the word, God. I gotta hear the word. I gotta hear the word. I gotta hear the word on the day. And then I gotta be a doer of the word. I gotta obey the word. I gotta obey the word. Even in tough times. Even when my flesh is just freaking out. I gotta obey the word. Now turn over a couple books 
to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Now, we're going to change gears a little bit here with the teacher named Jesus. We're going to change gears here with the subject a little bit here. Because that first part we got over to my life right here on earth. This next part that the teacher, Professor Jesus, gets into is life eternally. Now, if you'll look above verse number 4, it Jesus teaches the fear of God. So he goes on and he starts and he said, And I say to you, my friends, my friends, very comforting, my friends. You know, in John 15, 13 through 15, Jesus himself tells us how that we become friends of God. You know how that is? If you obey my commands, you're my friend. You're my friend. So he's very comforting here. My friends. But all of a sudden, guys, you're going to see the teacher. He makes a turn and his statements now are very alarming, almost radical. And look what he says. My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Don't be afraid of those ones who can just kill your body. Now, what's he talking about? The only one who can just kill my body is mankind. And he's telling us here, don't fear mankind. But look what the teacher says next. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now, you talk about crazy, radical. He goes from comforting to this, this statement that makes us cringe. But his words were meaningful. His words were meaningful. And, and right here, guys, he speaks to me and you about the reality of hell. And many believers right now, we avoid the topic of hell like a plague. Like a plague. Shh. You're scaring the customers. You talk about hell and church paths, you're going to run them all off. Isn't it interesting here that the teacher, Professor Jesus, he didn't avoid the subject. Actually, he frequently talked about it. And many people right now in Western culture, you know what they'll say? I don't want to go to a church where, where eternal damnation is talked about. I don't want to go to a church where judgment's talked about or sin's talked about. I don't want to hear that. See, let me clarify something here today. There's a guy who wrote a book out. Maybe you've read it. And I'm not going after him. I'm just going after what he said. When he presented the book and said that there is no hell, why did the teacher talk about hell? Why did he talk about this? Because the teacher understands the reality of hell. And Jesus himself, guys, he wasn't trying to be politically correct. He wasn't running for no public office. He didn't need our vote. But he understood truth and reality. I'm going to go back here again today. I went here in the first service and I sense I need to go here. You can go with me. I'm going to go right back there where we were. But let me read this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this was the Apostle Paul, and he was writing to this young pastor named Timothy. And he said to Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. 
The B-I-B-L-E. Don't preach your stinking thoughts. Preach the word. And he said, be ready in season and out of season. Your job, Timothy, is to convince, rebuke. That's always fun. Exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Pastor, have you ever rebuked anybody? Absolutely. There's many of you sitting here today. And some of you say, thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. I didn't do it judgmentally. I did it because I loved you. And I thank God when people rebuked me as a young believer. And they said, listen, Bubba, you can't do that stuff. And so this is what he began to tell him. And, and why did he tell him? Listen. For the time will come when they, who's the they? Believers. When they will not endure sound doctrine, the word of God, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It becomes very serious, guys. When we start putting what man says over what God said. Don't do it. All you're doing is setting yourself up. Well, Pastor Big Bucket, Pastor Long Tongue, he said that I can do this and this. Well, you know what? He lied. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God. You guys are saying, man, he's fired up about this. He is. This is serious guy stuff because there's too many in the body of Christ that are going down rabbit paths that they have no business I've had people that looked me in the face and said, we left this church because we don't like when we come under here, we get convicted. Hmm. Well, Jesus himself said, I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God, and he's going to convict the world of sin. Now, you know what? That reads the same for me. I realize at times that the Lord will come after my heart. We better keep moving. Go back to Luke 12. I don't want any of you to leave. Thank you. So he said here something interesting. Fear him who after after he's killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now, he goes in that radical. And then verse 6 and 7, look what he gets. He goes back to very comforted and he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God? A little sparrow! And you know what's crazy this morning? I was sitting out back here praying. I was drinking my coffee. It's so pretty out. And I looked, and right there on the fence was this little sparrow. And you know what I thought? And I looked at him, and I thought, who even knows you're here right now but me? I, I didn't say that. I thought it. I'm not out talking to the sparrows. <laughs> Some of you said he's worse off than we thought. We've got to pray. Help him, Jesus. Help him. But I thought that. Here's this sparrow. Who even knows he's there but me? But see, the point of that is with God saying that, He's aware of every one of us. He does not overlook one of us. And he goes on to say in verse 7, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. The very hairs. Some of you are making it real easy for Jesus with you. You're losing your hair. But he said your very hairs are numbered. Why? Look what he goes on to say. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So he tells us right here. He's aware of you. 
He, he, he loves us. And with the statements there, they're very alarming, but also very comforting. But the only time the comfort comes is when I, I heed the alarm that he brings here. And in saying that, there's a scripture that probably every one of us in here can probably quote John 3, 16. That verse is alarming and that verse is comforting. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, most of the time, you know what we do? We tune in to the comfort side. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we look at it, thank God he gave his only begotten son. But the alarming side is this. That whosoever believeth in him should not, should not perish. You know why Jesus said that? Because it was reality. He was telling us that I sent my only son so you don't have to perish. And this is what the great teacher was teaching us. Not only the realities of my life, he teaches how to live it, but my purposes of life, but also what I do with my life here will affect me eternally. Now look over one more book to, to, to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. You know, all the years of pastoring, guys, I, I don't know that I've ever prayed this much about salvation. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I get in here and I'll start praying and I'll, I'll pray for my family members, my relatives, my friends. I'll pray for the ones you put on your prayer cards. And I'm telling there'll be an overwhelming compassion come on me. I mean, one thing the Lord's even begin to spoke to me, begin to pray for the sinners of Lubbock who have no one to pray for. Some of you ought to thank God you had a mama that prayed for you. That's me. I thank God I had a mama that prayed for me. But you know, really, there's people in our city that don't have no one to pray for. And so that's standing in the gap and say, oh, Father God, touch their hearts, touch their hearts. But I believe right now, coming into this Easter season, God's wanting to see people give their heart to him unlike any other time. Luke 13, verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galilean whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now what's going on here? Pilate had, had apparently put to death some Galileans who they were offering sacrifices at their worship, and evidently he went in there and wiped them out. Now look what Jesus said. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose or think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? In other words, they were so bad, this is what happened to them. He said, I tell you, no, not at all. But unless you repent, you will all, all likewise perish. Now, it's interesting right here that he uses this analogy. A lot of times, we look at other people's lives and we think, you know what I'm doing? It's not as bad as what they're doing. We try to justify our behavior toward other people. But isn't it interesting here that if repentance wasn't such a big deal, then why did Jesus tell you, unless you repent? What am I repenting of? Sin. And so when people tell me, you don't understand grace, buddy. You don't understand. Grace is to cover my sin. 
Yeah, you're right, but not for you to willfully sin. God didn't give us grace to give you a license to sin. We do well enough without a license. That wasn't what it was for. And so look at at where he goes next here, because he gets over, guys, over and over, and he references calamities and tragedies. He referenced the calamity and tragedy, and look what he says in verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell, and he killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? And so once again here, guys, you think he's going to give sympathy, but it doesn't give sympathy. Look at what he says. It's radical. It causes you to cringe. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so here's what happens with us, guys, with calamities and tragedies. When you're around a calamity or a tragedy in your life, think about how it grips you for a season. Every one of us have experienced something that, that was tragedy, maybe a loss of someone. And you, you saw it for a season how it gripped your heart. I shared this in the first service, that when I was in high school... All four years, and I don't know how many years before and after this it extended, but all four years, every year, almost the exact same week of the year, a senior that went to the school I did would die. And I remember one year there was a guy who who was a couple years older than me. He, He died, he drowned to death that week. The next year I had two friends that died on passing Littlefield, Texas. Lost control and killed them both. The next year, a guy I grew up with played football from a little snotty-nosed guy all the way through high school, just a freak deal. He hit his head on a row bar and killed him just like that. The next year, there was a guy and a girl on a motorcycle. He hit a semi and it decapitated them both. Now, what that was, guys, that was very tragic. Man, I mean rugged. And so you know what it did in our hearts? It gripped us for a season. In almost every one of those situations, alcohol was involved. So you know what we all said? We ain't drinking no more. That's it. We're done. You know how long that lasted? About three days, three weeks at the longest. Because that tragedy began to wear off. And so Jesus right here lists these tragedies. And then look what he says again in verse 5. He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so what he's telling us here is when you experience disaster and tragedy, there's something worse than that. Something worse than that. And I think back in our nation right now, maybe this will grip you a little bit. Remember what our hearts were when what happened to our nation on 9-11? It gripped us. It angered us. You know, in the three weeks after 9-11, church attendance soared. I mean, out of this world. Even right here, our attendance took off. You know why? It gripped people's heart. And in that situation, they turned to God. But you know what? After three weeks, church attendance just went... Yeah, we don't need God no more. Tragedy. Hurricane Katrina. Tragedy. I mean, watch the news the last few months. All these tornadoes, tragedy. These killings we see repeatedly now on our college campuses, our high school campuses, 
tragedy grips your heart for a moment. But my point in this is what Jesus is telling you. Even as bad as those things are, guys, there's something worse, and it's called eternal damnation. That one day you wake up and you're in a permanent state, there is never no hope. And don't shout me down right now, guys. Because this is the reality of the great teacher. He wanted to show us life here on earth. But he's telling us, listen guys. There's more than you play for than just life here. And what I do on this earth determines where I'm going to spend eternity at. And don't think you're going to get in on the coattail of your daddy. Or your hymn of your mama, her prayers. Because you know what I realize? As bad as I want every one of us in this room to go to heaven... The only one who can determine that is you. It's me. It's me. And you know what I fully understand? Is Jesus said, you come to me. You come to me. And he will not override your will, guys. I've had people say, well, if Jesus wants to save me, he'll just do it. Well, that's a great thought. But why did Jesus say that you must confess with your mouth and believe with your heart? Because you know what? He's saying, you've got to give me permission to be Lord of your life. I will not override it. If you don't want to live for me, fine. But there's consequences. Stand up with me today. Some of you saying, man, I didn't know this would be the journey of the great teacher today. I believe, guys, He wants us to have reality. He wants us to understand, man, we can live to the fullest on this earth, but there is something afterwards. And I think back in my life, guys, and maybe this will bear witness with some of you today. For the first 20 years of my life, guys, I didn't serve God. Actually, I had very little trace of a God in me at all. And I remember at age... I looked and I thought there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing i got to be and I look back now and, and I knew the course I was on in my life of destruction I saw things beginning to happen more and more and more because of my choices and I can stand before you today and say if I wouldn't have given my heart to Jesus I would either have been in jail or I've been dead. I knew that. But because of a choice one day, and I say that to some of you today, He's the God of a second chance. He's the God that still takes messes and makes miracles. But you know what that means? I got to come to Him. And that means I got to come to Him on His terms. And that means that when you pray the, 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 the prayer of faith to be, to be saved, I don't pray, oh, Father God, come into my heart and, and be Savior. If you'll remember in Romans 10, 9 and 10, he said, confess me as Lord. There's a huge difference between Lord and Savior. Lord says, you're Master. I submit to your will and your way. Bow your head with me today.